We've encouraged you to share a meal with your enemies. And in this episode, we offer you how to when it comes to the actual conversation itself. This is Grace Arkey with Jim Babka, sponsored by Zero Aggression Project, zeroaggressionproject.org, here on the AHO Radio Network. I'm your host, Bill Perotzman. The expert with us today is Dwayne Lester, whose job is teaching people how to sell freedom without starting a fight. Dwayne is the Director of Education at Grassroots Leadership Academy, a program initiative of Americans for Prosperity. Tell me a little bit, I know uh, Grassroots Leadership Academy is part of the American Americans for Prosperity, and a lot of people haven't heard of AFP. Can you start by telling us just a little bit about what that is and what it does? Sure. Grassroots Leadership Academy is part of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation, and we're really looking at, in, in GLA right now, building grassroots leaders, because what we'd like to see is a society of mutual benefit where where people, you know, push, away, they, they, they move away from coercion and move more, more towards um, mutually beneficial agreements where coercion isn't needed. And so we're trying to work with local groups to create those community leaders so that they can go out and make that change in their, their cities, their counties, their states, and federally. This so resonates Fantastic. because, you know, we're all about no coercion here. So, uh, Jim, I know you've got all the questions. Let's hear Yeah. Them. So, you know, we're going to give everybody kind of a feel for what they might learn at a grassroots academy today, a uh, training session, because I got to sit through one training session with Dwayne and he had a fantastic topic that is really relevant to what we're doing here at Gray Sarkey. And that is how to sell freedom without starting a fight. Dwayne, if, you, if you're selling it, you must have some answer to this question. Is it possible to sell freedom without starting a fight? Yeah, it absolutely is, because you have to have two people to have a fight. And if you're not wanting to fight, then it's easy. And what, what we start with is this, this idea, and, and I attribute, I came up with next to none of this. Everything that, that is in this is, a, is in a book I read. In fact, Around the Corner is one of the first books I talk about in this training, and that is Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of his habits was listen to understand, not to be understood. And so often when we get in the middle of these political arguments, it's because we're listening only deeply enough to explain to the other person why they're wrong. And that's it. We listen enough to say, oh, yeah, you just said that. Let me tell you why that's wrong. And I go back and I start the whole program off with a story about my uh, conversation I had with my younger brother. And this is I, I love my younger brother. I mean, we grew up together. We have I, I love talking with him. And I, I remember him distinctly sitting in the living room of my mom and dad's house. And I said, I'm just going to go in and talk to him a little bit about politics. And it's going to be a nice, polite, pleasant conversation. And I went in and I sat down and 20 minutes later, the hackles are up on the back of my neck. My blood pressure is higher. I'm shouting. And I thought to myself, how did I get here? Why am I yelling at this person that I love? And that memory, I don't even think my brother remembers it. I remember not long ago, I was telling him this story. And he's like, I don't remember that at all. But it stuck with me because I could not understand how I got to that point where I was yelling at him. And I, I, I sat and thought about it. And I could never shake that that memory. Over the past few years, I've been reading more and more books on sales. And one of the things they talk about in sales is whatever you're selling, you have to listen first. You have to listen so you understand the needs of your prospect. If you can't, if you can't meet the needs of your prospect, 
no one's going to buy from you unless there's coercion involved. And clearly we're, we're opposed to that. So I started thinking to myself, if we're selling an idea, and that's really what I'm trying to do is sell an idea, this idea of a, of a mutually beneficial society, then we need to know what's important to the people we're selling to. And it dawned on me that the reason I was yelling at my brother that day was because I wasn't listening to understand him. I was listening to respond. I only wanted to explain to him my point of view. And when he didn't accept that, that that bothered me. So I said to myself, the first thing we need to do is we need to listen to understand. And there are four distinct things that I, I talk about doing when you listen to understand. And if you just do these four things, I mean, you could have you can honestly have a conversation just doing two of these things. But the first two come from a book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And he talks about doing something called mirroring. And mirroring is when you're listening to the person you're talking to and you simply repeat three to five words they, that they just said to you. Three to five words. Yeah, really, that's all you need is just to repeat three to five words. And the person, one, knows that you're listening to them, but two, takes that as a cue to keep talking. A cue to keep talking? Exactly. And so they'll keep explaining what they were saying, and you don't have to do anything else but mirror. And let me explain how effective this was, Jim. Um, I don't remember if you were at any of the, the CPAC CPAC blogger lounges back in the day when when I first started like 2007 2008 I don't know if you ever made it in any of those were you no 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 well I I always took up a lot of real estate right because I'd get there and I'd set my laptop up and as soon as I had my laptop up then I'd pull out my I'd pull these things out I had these microphones and I'd have them set out and and they were on arms that would come out over the table and then I had my mixer next to me and then I had cameras set up. I mean, I took up a lot of real estate in this room and I was sitting there one day and I felt a tap on my shoulder and I was just trying to, to write a quick blog post. And I, I feel a tap on my shoulder and I turn around. There's a pleasant young lady there. And she said, would you like to do a quick interview with so and so? And this was kind of a high profile person at the time. And I said, absolutely, I would love to. And she said, great, I'll go get him. And he was like two feet away. He sat down and I said, thanks for taking the time to do this. And it, But in my mind, I'm thinking, what am I going to talk to this guy about? I, I was not at all planning on talking to this person. And so I hit record and I turned to him and I said, so it's, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us. Why are you here at, at CPAC this year? He started talking. And I'm in full panic mode because I don't know what I'm going to talk to this person about. He starts talking. As soon as he stops talking, I just repeat the last three words he said. And he keeps talking. And when he stops, I repeat the last three words he said. We did this, I think, for 15 or 20 minutes. When he stood up, I was wrapping everything up. He stood up, started to leave, turns to one, to one of his handlers and said, that's the best interview I've had in years. <laughs> I was like, yeah, all I did was repeat what you were saying. I'm sure you enjoyed it, but it was so effective that we did 20 minutes of an interview that he said was the best he'd had in years, and all I did was mirror him. So just repeat those three words, because when you repeat those words, like I said, it's a cue for them to keep talking, and as they're talking, you can learn more about them. The other thing so, you can do is put a label on things. Sorry, yeah. Jim, did you want to say No, I was going to say, so that's step one is mirroring. 
Yeah, step, step one two. is mirroring. Step two is called labeling. And labeling, and again, comes from Chris Voss, How to Split the Difference. If you haven't read the book, uh, give me a call. I got a copy I can loan you. If not, Amazon, I know, has copies. Um, but labeling is where you're listening to someone, and then you just say something like, Jim, it sounds like learning about how to start freedom without selling a fight is something that's important to you. And then they'll keep talking. Well, yeah, it's important to me. As a matter of fact, let me tell you why. And it's just as effective as if you put the wrong label on it. Jim, it sounds like grace isn't something that, that your organization cares about. <laughs> Guess what? If you do that, they're going to correct you. Yes. And so when you can label something, again, you're getting them to keep talking. And, you know, it sounds like that's important to you. Yeah, it is important to me. And let me tell you what else is important to me. Please, please do. Because all I'm trying to do is learn as much about you as possible. And people love to talk about themselves. So they'll keep talking about themselves. And mm -hmm. this is not a fight. We're talking about politics, but it's not a fight because I'm more like, you know, sounds like sounds like that's really important to you. There's two of oh, that's that's the second one. So you've got mirroring and labeling. Right. So number the three. third one that I use comes from a book called Getting More by Stuart Diamond. And I believe Stuart Diamond was the founder of the School of Negotiation at the Wharton School of Business. So he kind of knows what he's talking about. And in this book, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, if you're talking to someone and they say that you're the biggest idiot they've ever met, the next three words out of your mouth need to be, tell me more. Okay. I just want to jump in right here because we've been talking about grace on this show, right? which is a gift that you give to other people. It's, it's, it's reaching beyond tolerance and forgiveness into that space where you're trying very much to understand what motivates or makes people tick. And a lot of these conversations that we have, particularly the ones that surround politics and religion, end up becoming contentious in ways that we did, hoped they, never, they wouldn't. Um, and so you just basically said, hey, they just said you're a fool. They just said you're an idiot, whatever. And your response is, tell me more. Yeah, and, and here's what here's what I say. If they say that to you, you stop and you smile at them and you say, tell me more about that. Tell me more. Because here's what happened. If someone's calling you an idiot, they're ready to fight with you or they want to fight with you. And when you smile at them and say, tell me more, it's, it's completely disarming. They're not they're not expecting that. They're expecting maybe I'm not an idiot. You are. And let me tell you why you're an idiot. And now we're fighting. But if you look at them and say, Tell me more about that. Then what are they going to do? They're going to tell you why they think you're an idiot. And then you can say, well, it sounds like you think I believe this. You know, just the other day, just the other day, I was on uh, social media and this guy says uh, he, he was calling me everything but a Christian. And I'm like, yeah, tell me more about that. And and uh, he says, well, are you going to are you going to do this? You know, are you going to support Trump when it comes out that he was doing this? And I said, it sounds like you think I supported him in the first place. And I wasn't, I'm not arguing with him. It sounds like you said that. I put a label on it. And now, now he's done yelling at me because he's like, wait a second, I thought you were this. I'm like, yeah, well, it sounds like you made some assumptions. <laughs> yeah. I'm cracking up over here because this is so point on, right? It's so effective. Yeah. It, it's, so, it sounds so like mirroring? you appreciate what we're talking about. Mirroring, labeling, tell me more. And number four is? Why is that important to you? And if you could tell me more, you're an idiot. Tell me more about that. Well, I don't, I don't agree with, with your position on X. Well, why is that important to you? 
And now they're going to tell you what motivates them. They're going to tell you what values they have. It sounds like personal liberty is really important to you. It sounds like people should you feel people should have choice in what they do. It sounds like you care about individual liberty. I do. Well, why is that important to you? Now they're going to keep talking. And you could you could literally have a conversation just saying, tell me more. And why is that important to you? So this this is important because everybody's coming from a particular place. And I like what you do here next because uh, I'm, I'm familiar with uh, Arnold Kling's work. And I think, and in fact, I just, I'm working on a talk I've got to give here in a couple of days. And I literally went back to that book and pulled out just because I needed to make sure I was clarifying my terms correctly, what a progressive is and what a conservative is. And in, in the process here, we're also going to discuss what's a libertarian. So Kling has, a, it's it, the three languages of politics. Uh, yeah, it's a tiny, tiny little book. It's, uh, yeah, less than, less than a hundred, it's 121 pages mm-hmm. and it is a fascinating read. But as you're, as you're listening to these folks, as you're listening, you're, you're looking for things called cues. And one of the things that clean talks about is that there are three languages in politics. So liberals tend to see things through an oppressor and oppressed lens and conservatives tend to see things through a civilization versus barbarism lens and libertarians tend to see things through a coercion versus liberty lens and so as you're listening you're you're trying to listen for these cues these languages that tell you where people tend to stand and and one thing that clean talks about is once you recognize what language they're speaking don't try and speak it speak your own language because as soon as you try to speak their language they're going to pick up that that you're not who you say you are plus it's manipulative just be yourself just be yourself. Another thing that um, I want to point out is the moral foundations theory, which I've got in another pile of books here somewhere. I just actually read about this again in Arthur Brooks's book, Love Your Enemy, uh, another great book. Uh, again, I came up with none of this. I just read a lot and do my best to remember. But in the moral foundations theory, Jonathan Haidt recognizes or identifies the fact that all of us, Regardless of ideology, libertarians, conservatives, liberals, progressives, we all uniformly care about caring and fairness. Those are the two things that we all care about. Now, now, believe it or not, some folks don't care about sanctity as much as others. Some folks don't care about authority as much as others. Not everybody believes in economic liberty at the same languages, at the same intensity of others. But we all believe in caring and fairness. And Brooks has a great conversation about this is own fairness, own it. We all care about fairness. I want things to be fair. So when you can start talking in, in the perspective of caring and fairness, if you can, if you can frame your conversation in those two caring and fairness, you're going to have a lot easier time getting through to. So it sounds like this is something you really is important to you. The fact that this is unfair what you're trying to do there, once you've, once you've identified these things, once you've said, you know, gone through everything, you're looking for principles. We're looking for values that you share. Because, Jim, you and I might disagree on 80% of things. And, and I've seen this in these trainings. I've seen parents um, who, who, I mean, this is why I, this is currently one of the, my favorite things to do. I love doing this training. Because afterwards, I have parents who come up and say, I haven't been able to talk to my son in a couple of years. But what Mm. you taught today 
I think it can help me. I'll have people yeah. come up. Politics, to myself. politics has divided people. I mean, it, it's and it's hit families right at the Thanksgiving table, for example. Yeah, in in Brooks's book, Love Your Enemy, this came out in twenty eighteen, I think. He said in twenty seventeen there was a poll done that said one in six Americans had stopped talking to someone like a family member because of the twenty sixteen election. And it's only That's gotten worse what, since, I suspect. I, I, you know, I wanted to look up. I said, well, it's got to be worse after 2020. It's got to be worse after January 6th. And what I found was that I didn't find a specific poll on that, but I found another poll that shows that 65% of liberal Democrats have stopped talking politics with at least one person. And 45% of conservative Republicans have stopped talking politics with at least one person. So it, you're right. It is getting worse. It is getting worse because but they, but they can't make are, that libertarian shut up, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, they, they didn't. They didn't poll libertarians because we tend to talk to anybody, anytime, any place, and we don't even care if they're listening. We're just glad there's another person around us. So but, this is really again, good because what you've done here is you started off a conversation that was confrontational, and you've found a way to now sit beside that person. You're 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 now facing the same direction. And that's that's just step one. So uh, just real quickly, we're, just to review here on the first step, you had mirroring, you had labeling, the tell me more uh, concept, and why is that important to you? So that gives us, now we can move on to, to step two. Um, so uh, what is the next step in these, these six steps here that we're going to cover today? Well, before we get to that, I want to tell a quick story, if you don't mind. About, Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This, this is a story about uh, Benjamin Disraeli. And his opponent, his opponent, and I, I always space on this person's name, and I need to write it down. I usually have it written down on my paper because I always forget the opponent's name. <laughs> um, but his opponent, they were both running for prime minister. And in a, in a, in a seven-day period, they were both going to have dinner with the same woman. And this woman was Winston Churchill's mom. Not important to the story, just an interesting fact. And so the first Benjamin Disraeli's opponent goes and has dinner with her. Is it William Gladstone? That's it. I keep saying Blackstone and I'm like, no, I know that's not it. You're right. Yes. Gladstone. It was so it was Gladstone has dinner with her first, and then later in the week, Benjamin Disraeli has dinner with her. So the press catch up with her and they say, Well, what did you think of, of uh Mr. Gladstone? And she said, oh, he was just a treat. He was a wonderful man. I loved having dinner with him. By the end of the night, I thought he was the most interesting man in the world. And they said, that's 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 good to know. What did you think of your dinner with uh, Mr. Disraeli? And she said, you know, he's he's also a wonderful man. I very much enjoyed our dinner together. By the end of the night, I thought I was the most interesting person in the world. <laughs> and that is all the difference right there. Gladstone came in and sold himself. I'm here to tell you all the great things about you. Disraeli sat down, looked at her and said, tell me more. And right. Disraeli won. Disraeli won because he showed that that's, that's just instant charisma. Because you're mm -hmm. going to smile and you're going to say, you know, tell me more. But I find you fascinating, Jim. Tell me more. Why is that mm -hmm. important to you? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I've said it a hundred <laughs> times if I said it once. Yes, I know. But the, so once you've identified all a principle, and that's what it's going to come down to, you're going to find a place where you can create a shared vision. Mm -hmm. And that idea of a shared vision, 
I, I used to have this idea that a shared vision was, look, Jim, I have a vision and I'm going to tell you my vision. And now you know the vision and we have a shared vision. But that's not what a shared vision should be. And again, this comes from a book called The Fifth Discipline. Uh, which is about learning organizations. And in there, they talk about the fact that each one of us have values that are important to us. And if you want to create a shared vision for your organization, you need to help your employees learn or understand that by accomplishing the organization's vision, you're also accomplishing their personal vision. You're helping them live out their personal values. And when you do that, you get more buy-in and you get uh, you get a happier workforce. And so this idea of creating a shared vision when it comes to this is simply listening long enough to understand what makes this person tick, what's important to them. And there are two things you can instantly identify, caring and fairness. You know that's going to be important to them. But there might be something that comes out like body autonomy. And you're going to be Okay, I, I care about that, too. And so that leads us to step two, when you're just going to state the principle that you're about to build this shared vision on. And that's as easy as using a label from step one. It sounds like bodily autonomy is something that you're very passionate about. And they'll keep talking. You say, you know, when I talk about bodily autonomy, and this gets us to step three, where you define the principle that you just identified. When I talk about bodily autonomy, autonomy, this is what I, I mean. And then you can establish credibility, which is step four. And a lot of people hear me say establish credibility and they think that I'm going to say, you know, as someone who holds a PhD in philosophy and another PhD in, in uh, political blah, 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 it's not what it means. What it means is it could be as simple as saying, you know, as a father, as someone who's got nine kids, as someone who has four daughters, I don't want anyone, whether they're the president of the United States or their spouse or even me, I don't want anybody having the authority to force them to do something with their body that they don't want to do. I don't want that. And I don't think you want that either. And that brings us to step five, where you create that common ground. So let's go back. Step two. You're going to define, you're going to state the principle. The principle was bodily autonomy or body. Step three, you define that principle. Step four, you establish credibility around that principle. And step five is you create that common ground. I don't think you want that either. So so you're repeating the principle that you've heard from them to make sure you've got it right. And then you're clarifying what they mean by that. You're trying to find a common definition for that so that you make sure that you're talking about the same thing. And then when you get to credibility, you're doing this in a very personalized way. Your credibility isn't that you're an expert. You're not trying to make yourself better than them. You're trying to make yourself relatable to them in in, in the sense that you're, in this case, the example you gave that you're a dad. They can relate to being a dad. Yeah. And then when when you get to step five, it's as simple as looking at them and saying, I don't think you want that either, do you? Well, no, I don't. I don't want that. Or yes, um, I do want that. Yeah, I, I think I think you'd support that as well, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. And all you're doing there, steps two through five, and this is something I just realized now talking to you. Steps two through five, all you're, you're really welcome. doing is creating. What's that? You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why I love these conversations. Steps two through five, all you're doing is really establishing that shared vision. Mm-hmm. So. You've identified they care about this. I care about this also. 
I'm going to create a shared vision with this person now around stating this principle, defining the principle, creating the credibility so they'll listen, and then creating that common ground. And that's when, once you've got that, once they say, well, yeah, I do care about that too, or they say, you know, I, I wouldn't want that, I agree with you, then you can go to step six, which is where you connect your principle to your policy position, you connect your principle to your can't, you know, I don't want that either. And that's why I support Bill XYZ. I don't want that either. That's why I'm supporting this candidate for office. And you can even throw a call to action in there too, you know, and I hope, I hope you'll join me in that. Now, one thing I get, and I understand this because I've experienced it, somewhere in this, they could interrupt you. They could say, you know what, I don't agree. I don't agree with that definition at all. I think you're wrong. So what do you do at that point? Well, you look at them and you smile and you say, tell me more. You go right back to step one, because if someone's arguing with me, as, if someone's arguing with me as I'm trying to create a shared vision, that's a cue that I have failed. That's a cue that I have not listened to them enough to understand where they're coming from. And they're saying to me, you don't know me. And so I'm saying, you're right. Tell me more. Dwayne, tell me about an argument. I don't want to argue, and I'm just going to say, no, I'm not going to argue with me. I'm not going to argue. Tell me more. Dwayne, tell me about an argument. What, is, what does an argument represent? Nobody wins an argument, Jim. This is, this is straight out of uh, Dale Carnegie, 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 whichever pronunciation you prefer. <laughs> yeah. But this is how to win friends and influence people 101. Nobody wins an argument. If you and I are arguing, and you make the point because you're smarter than me and you make this point that I hadn't thought about. And I, and you're like, so, so take that egghead. I, I won. You may feel good about yourself, but the fact of the matter is I don't feel good. Actually. Now I resent you for arguing with me and proving me wrong. So who's really won anything. Your whole point was to get me to understand as a different point of view. All I'm thinking about is Jim is kind of a jerk. And uh, I don't like him anymore, and I'm not going to talk to him. So th the idea of winning an argument is is fallacious. Nobody wins an argument. And and if and if you're stuck in an argument, you don't have enough information, right? Right. Yeah. So you if, just if you, if, back up in this if, process. You you don't have to be in an argument again. If you if you define something and they say that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, you're clearly a moron. You smile at them and you say, tell me more. And now you're just going to learn. You're not going to fight with them. So, again, you're not starting the fight. You're not. And there shouldn't be a fight because you don't want to fight. Your goal is not to win an argument. Your goal is to get someone else involved in making this a freer society. And so often we lose focus of that that goal because of the immediacy. And I, I've done it too. I'm not saying other people, this is only them. I've done it too. We get so focused on what's happening right in front of us right now that we forget. I love this person. That's what happened to me in the living room, my parents' living room. I forgot. I love this person. And instead, the immediate goal became win this argument, show them why they're wrong. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens after that because you win the argument. That is short-sighted and it's wrong. And I think that's that's why we have so many of the problems we have today. Plus, I don't want to get in too much into it, but we've also got sort of a, a machine out there that really thrives on 
on putting the other side down. And yep. we don't have to, we don't have to do that. We don't have to. Yep. We call that the conflict machine here at this show. Um, I, I, so I just want to make clear that in this process, every time you start to feel it intensifying or the disagreement, you have two choices. It's like, a, you know, the road, which road are you going to take? You can argue. And as you said, you're not going to win, win that. And now you're a jerk and you're not going to be persuasive. Or I think what you're suggesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying go backwards, go back towards step one, go back as far as you need to, go back to the beginning if you have to, and start reestablishing uh, that common ground uh, by following the steps in this process. Yeah, it really is just as soon as, as someone interrupts you, you've reset to step one. And it's that simple. Someone says, I don't agree with that. That's interesting. Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. Why is that? Hey, do I agree with that? Is, is this working out there? Are you getting traction on this? I mean, I look at around at our world and it seems pretty contentious, but obviously there's a need. Yeah, I've I've delivered this at the New Hampshire, at the Liberty Forum, out at Freedom Fest. I did it at the, the uh, what is it, the Conservative Leadership Summit. Is that what it was? The Western Conservative Summit in, in Denver and a couple other places. I can't tell what people do after this, but I can tell you when I was at, uh, where was I? I was at the Western Conservative Summit. And I remember when you're a speaker, um, I'm as a speaker, I'm always more interested in who's speaking at the same time I am. I, I mean, that's paramount to me because I look at it and say, OK, who's my competition? And at the Western Conservative Summit, which the demographics there tend to be more red blooded Republicans um, of an older generation. And I thought I looked at this and I said, great, I'm up against Corey DeAngelis, who's going to talk about school choice. And I'm up against the entire Reason editorial staff talking Oh, with the Heritage Foundation talking about CRT. I said, I'll be lucky if there's six people in my room. Mm -hmm. And I honestly believe that. I thought this is incredible com competition I'm up against. I got in the room and I probably had 50 to 60 people there. Not because the other rooms were full, but because this was more important to them than those other things. And it was probably 90 After or 100 trades, at Freedom Fest when I saw you. It, I mean, that room was yeah, packed. There was yeah. standing room only in that room. And I don't know if you remember this, Jim. I, I can't remember exactly when you ducked out, but it, it's not like a lecture. When I give these presentations, it's very much you're going to work in a small group. I'm not yep. going to tell you your groups because we're all grown ups and I believe in spontaneous order. So find a group of people to talk with and you're going to talk about this. Now you're going to talk about this. Now we're going to talk as a group. And I go through these steps with people in training. Uh, I'll say to someone, what did you guys talk about? Oh, we talked about, you know, this, this and rule of law. And I'll just look at it and say, rule of law. And they'll keep talking. Yep. And what I found is after these trainings, and I've never seen this with any other trainings at one of these conferences, those small groups that talked before will stay after and continue talking. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're reinforcing, we're creating that um, this community, this small community. This happened. My group nominated me to be the leader of it. But when the thing was over, I did not duck out early. We started exchanging information, like talking to each other about okay. what brought us here and why we were there. And all, I mean, like, you know, I got to know a little bit about the other guys that were that were there. One of them had this was like his fourth or fifth event being, time being at that event. The other was his first. I mean, I learned things about the people next to me. Yeah, and, and it was and fun. That is not something I've seen in other events that I've done. Most people get up and leave.
But another thing is I always I always get people come up to me after a training and want to talk. But these days, like I said before, it's people coming up and saying, basically, thank you. I hope that I can rebuild the relationship with my family with this. Mm -hmm. And I think that is more important to people than winning the next election. So I'm hoping with that. they're taking this and using it. Um, I, I really, Dwayne, I really hope they're doing that. Dwayne, I, you know, it wasn't the packed room and it wasn't how much fun I had during the talk. And it wasn't even how relevant it was that the conversation was to the show that actually said to me, I need to have Dwayne on the show. Uh, speaking from a very personal spiritual space, you used a word in your conversation at that uh, talk. Uh, you may or may not remember using it. Uh, and you used it in private conversation with me separately outside of that uh, event because you and I already knew each other before you, uh, before we went to that event. You talked about dignity. This shows Grace Arkey, and we are interested very much in this idea that God has created a space that he's inviting us into. We are made in his image, and we have inherent dignity. And so as part of the wrap-up to our time together, could you just take a moment to speak from your heart about what that word means to you and how it drives your your fundamental mission in your work? You know, dignity is one of the guiding principles for our organization in Stand Together. It's one of one of our guiding principles. And it is really important to recognize that each person here, regardless of, of where they're at, what they're doing, they have inherent value, that they have they should be respected. You don't have to like what they do, but recognize that not everyone likes what we do. Not everyone likes us personally, but we need we need to have the respect for one another. Uh, that 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 dignity that each one of us have uh, warrants. I don't I don't have to like the fact that you go and do these things. I don't I don't have to like that, but I want to give you the respect you deserve as a, as a human, as, as you said, one of God's creations. And we lose sight of that dignity when, when our agenda becomes more important than the respect for the person we're talking to. And I've made that mistake. I've made that mistake in talking to my brother. Uh, one of my saddest times was when my dad yelled at me and he said, I don't want to talk to you about politics anymore. And I was just, this was years ago. I'm a much better person now, uh, but but I remember that. And there are times when we fail to see the other person as a person. And again, I, I, I want to say this goes back to a book called Leadership and Self Deception. If you haven't read that from the Arbinger Institute, a great read. But we when we get involved in things, we stop seeing people as people, and we see them as obstacles. You're no longer. I mm -hmm. no longer have to respect yep. you because you're nothing more than something in my way. In my and way. I just need yep. to beat you down and remove you. Yep. And this is this is where the trouble begins that we've been talking about, Bill. Uh, Dwayne, before you go, uh, people uh, should have really enjoyed this presentation. Maybe they want it to come to their neighborhood and then and perhaps some of the other training you do. So for a moment, sell yourself and sell the people you work with. You work with Jess and some other great people. Tell me about what it is that you're doing and why somebody should want to invite you to come to their town. Our main focus, my main focus this year has been on this presentation in, in helping people understand how to sell freedom without starting a fight. Our greater organization, our main focus is, like I said, building up those grassroots leaders. And we, I've said many times, I will go anywhere at any time to talk to anyone about anything.
And if you if you need help, if you are focused on on an, on something in your community, you've got a group of people who want to make a change but don't know the first thing to do. Give me a call. Send me an email. D Lester at afphq.org. I will come and I will do my best to help you because the biggest obstacle in making this change from a society that's focused on on coercion or thinks that's the only solution to one of mutual benefit, the biggest obstacle any of us are going to face is the couch. I mean, that, that's it. We've got to move people from the seats to the streets. And what yes. I want to do is give you the ability to make that happen. And one more time, what's the, what are the best ways to get a hold of you and get you and your team to come to town? My email, again, dlester at afphq.org. I'm also a, on Twitter. If you dive into that cesspool, I'm there occasionally. It's <laughs> at that Dwayne Lester. I'm also on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Dwayne Lester. But one of the best ways is just send me an email and and we'll see what we can get set up. We're expanding. I'm, I've got things going on in states I haven't been before. Uh, but my, again, my whole, and I'd say this from the bottom of my heart, I want a freer society for my children and grandchildren than I have today. That is why I do this. I want a freer society for my children and grandchildren. And that passion drives me. Let me help you because it's a shared vision. You know, if you're making the world freer, I'm accomplishing my vision at the same time. Very good. Folks, that's Dwayne Lester. And uh, Bill, um, I had an experience late last year where a gentleman came into our offices and talked about his greatest pain in life. He was kind of asked a question and we were expecting to go a completely different direction. And he began to tell this very sad story about how he didn't have a relationship with his son and his daughter-in-law anymore. And he hadn't been able to see his grandkids. And if we can't, you know, begin to do something to heal these kinds of relationships, at least make them so that people can sit uh, with each other. I don't know how much hope we have of actually dealing with the uh, societal, the broader societal issues that we have. I really do begin believe this begins at home. I'm hearing you, Jim, because when Dwayne said that the father who came up, you know, after the presentation said, you know, I don't know about, but I can use this at home. Right. Yes. That's so encouraging to me right now, because as you wisely pointed out, if we can't do this at home, uh, we're not qualified to go out, you know, on the street and do it there. So I just want to encourage people to check Dwayne out and his people. He's got a great team and they go from city to city and they do uh, provide this valuable training. And it really is uh, designed for people who want to get something done in their community. They don't really know what the first steps are. And, and they do. This team does. And not only that, they you know it's impossible, even if you are pretty smart, for one person to do it. They're going to help bring that package of knowledge. And you know they're, they're, they're decently well-funded. I mean, obviously, they have to travel around and they have to raise money to, to cover those expenses. But they're, they're able to make that trip and maybe a, a, a fledgling activist group can't quite uh, access this training. They can provide it. And so I, I really want them to, to reach out to the Grassroots Leadership Academy uh, to reach out to Dwayne Lester and his team. They're great people. I know Jess, Jess Mears, who works with him as well. They're really wonderful people. To have a, you'll, have, you'll get a lot out of it. Uh, but today, you know, the idea that you could keep backing up to a place where you can start empowering the person that you're speaking to. And in the process of empowering them, extending that grace to them, right, in the face of disagreement, not treating them like an obstacle, 
you can change the dynamic completely, Bill. Yes, I'm. I'm eager to do this. I'm like, I'm, I want to get back on social media now, you know, <laughs> and start asking people to tell me more. Because <laughs> you know, more. Jim, how well that works. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Grace Archie with Jim Babka. I'm your host, Bill Protzman, and a special thanks to Dwayne Lester for joining us and sharing his wisdom. Be well, be graceful to one another, and until the next time, aho.